Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And today's episode is all about progressive Christianity. We're bringing our friend David Walcott on, who is an expert in deconstruction and progressive Christianity. He reads all the primary sources of the deconstructionists and the progressive Christians. So before I get to the highlights for today, I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by Summit. Ministries. Give your teens an unshakable faith this summer that will last a lifetime. Summit Ministries summer student conferences give them reasons to trust the biblical foundation that you've laid for them. And students are going to wrestle through the hard questions of their faith and build an unshakable faith. So register for a two-week session in Georgia or Colorado. Learn more at summit.org slash Alisa. If you want to register, use my code Alisa24 for a discount. Financial assistance is also available to those in need. Register today at summit.org slash Alisa. Use my code Alisa24. All right, some highlights from today's episode is when David spent a good bit of time comparing the beliefs of progressive Christians to other religions. And what we discover is that progressive Christianity actually has more in common with other worldviews and world religions than even with historic Christianity. We spent a bit of time on the question, why do progressive Christians still use that word Christian? Why do they call themselves Christians? And we actually compared their beliefs with some historical creeds. We looked all the way through uh, to the earliest creeds and and even through some bizarre creeds. Maybe you remember when the Sparkle Creed came across your social media news feeds. We looked at more of the feeling-based creeds that we see in progressive Christianity. So it's a jam-packed episode today. And without any further ado, here's David Walcott. Well, David, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. You know, it's so fun for me to get to talk with you publicly on this episode because, you know, I'm a resource for some people, but you are a huge resource for me. Um, as I mentioned in the opening, you know, you were so beneficial to Tim and I when we were researching for the deconstruction book. I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say you probably know more about progressive Christianity than even I do. I mean, a lot of people think I'm some kind of an expert on that, but really— you're the expert. So I just want to brag on you a little bit. Um, you read about 300 books a year. Most of those books are written by progressive Christians or deconstructionists. Is that accurate to say that a good, um, at least a good bit percentage. of those? Um, I've read about 50 or so progressive Christian books in the last three years. Okay. Um, so by percentage, uh, more of my subject line is progressive Christian stuff than other stuff. Yeah. Right. So that's like 40,000 pages. And you know, if you really, if you if you total up the equivalent of what that is, I mean, that's like a master's or a PhD level amount of research that you've done just on your own, where you've, you know, you, you're consuming these primary sources. You're not going to Elisa Childers to inform what progressive Christianity is. You're actually going to the progressive Christians themselves. You're reading Richard Rohr, Brian McLaren, uh, you know, Sarah Bessie, and you're engaging with all of these resources. So I'm, I'm thrilled to kind of get from you 
your definition of progressive Christianity with all of your research. Like, let's just start with definitions. We're going to talk today about how progressive Christianity compares with world religions, which I'm fascinated to go into that topic. But how do you define progressive Christianity? So my current working definition is uh, the current Western spiritual zeitgeist, which is just the zeitgeist is kind of the view of the age, the worldview of the age, um, wrapped in moralistic therapeutic panentheism. And I specify that instead of deism. Um, that openly rejects theological authority and the accuracy of the Bible, um, and while identifying as Christian and as followers of Jesus. That's yeah. my current definition, but I have to be honest, I just ran across one a couple days ago. Um, I don't know much about the author, Austin uh, Moult, but uh, he contrasts uh, fundamentalist as uh, every doctrine is essential, Healthy Christian is there's essential and non-essential doctrines, and progressive Christianity is there is no essential doctrine. Ah. That is the best definition I have ever heard of, and I'm sticking with it going forward. Yeah, that's that's really good. But yours yours is really helpful, too, because of how specific it is. So, of course, we're going to talk a little bit later in the episode about therapeutic moralistic, moralistic deism, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. But you're substituting deism for panentheism. Talk about that substitution. Yeah. So in deism, it's still a typical the theism in the sense that there is a God and the God created the world. But in deism, the God isn't really involved with the world at all. They're more or less two separate things. In panentheism, God is a fundamental part of the world. Um, the best example I've seen is if you Google it and you look for a Venn diagram of pantheism, panentheism, and theism. Theism is God in the universe is are two separate circles pantheism, God and the universe are the same circle. And then panentheism, God is a circle. And then uh, the world is a circle within that. And so it's the world is part of God, but God is bigger than the world. And that's specifically what Richard Rohr teaches in the universal Christ. His term for it is uh, panentheism. And he specifically, if you read the appendix, he uh, identifies that he uses the word Christ as a code word for his worldview of panentheism. Mm -hmm. um, and that is uh, the idea I see most often. In fact, progressivechristianity.org just endorsed a book by uh, Larry, I cannot, Larry Jordan, I think is his name, called The Way, that specifically calls the Bible and its duality wrong and mm -hmm. points to Eastern religions and their, uh, I believe they use the word oneism. Um, mm -hmm. But the, you know, the idea that all is one, the idea that, you know, du duality, black and white thinking is wrong. Right. Um, so it seems to be a very popular, uh, very common belief in there. And that's why I substitute it, um, because it's it, it's not the same type of relationship that they have. Yeah. Um, when Ian Cron wrote The Road Back to You with, in, with the Enneagram being the road back to God, they're talking about God being within us, not being somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an important point. And I just want to say for our audience, I mean, this isn't something you're just sort of making as an accusation. This is something that many progressive Christians claim for themselves. In fact, mm -hmm. David, I remember when this first came on my radar many years ago uh, at the church where I wrote another gospel about, you know, the, the church that went on to become progressive Christian. I mm -hmm. specifically remember, this is over 10 years ago, specifically remember even staff members starting to say, yes, I'm a panentheist. This is something I'm very open about. And of course, when I started writing specifically about progressive Christianity on my blog, 
many progressive Christians would come. You can go back and look in the comments on some of the blog posts where they would be openly defending panentheism and even using scripture saying, hey, panentheism mm -hmm. is the correct view. And so um, this isn't something that we're accusing people of. This is something that is a sort of a self-affirmation um, of progressive Christians that it, it certainly doesn't mean absolutely every progressive Christian is panentheistic. Although mm -hmm. I think you could you could probably make a case that maybe most at least adopt that worldview, whether they know the word or not, because they're operating from more of that Eastern, you know, they don't want mm -hmm. that dualistic black and white thinking. So that's going to naturally lead into a blending of these things. And then that leads to this idea of oneness, which is also a, a common um, idea in the new age, that mm -hmm. everything is sort of interconnected with this divine, same divine spark. So um, I like that. I like that definition. I think it's good. I like both of the ones you gave. Um, so let's talk about when we're identifying progressive Christianity, you identify two core questions. These are the two questions that you have come to face when you're studying progressive Christianity. Talk about that a little bit. What are those two questions? And we'll dig down into them a little bit. Uh, yeah. So uh, the main thing I've been struggling with is why is it that they identify as Christian? And I've, I've been, I mean, I've seen them, you know, say, you know, by progressive Christian, we mean this, that, or the other. And, you know, well, you know, we're Christian because we like Jesus, you know, we believe in him in some way. Um, but I've really been digging down into, you know, what is it about that? What is it about Christian that makes it Christian? What is it about other world religions that make it other world religions? And what I found is that every world religion kind of has its variations on a theme, mm. um, which is, you know, a musical concept. You have, you know, an, an underlying theme and then someone will come along and make some changes to it. And so you get different songs, but they all sound alike. And so with progressive Christians, I found these variations on a theme that it's like, okay, they all sound like they're teaching generally the same thing, just with some little variations, but it doesn't sound anything like, you know, a traditional Catholic. It doesn't sound anything like a traditional evangelical. Um, it doesn't sound anything like uh, a Muslim or even largely a Buddhist. And so the questions that I've been dealing with is the one, what I'm calling, where's the outcry? So in evangelicalism, we have, you know, the Kenneth Copeland camp and the John MacArthur camp and a dozen other camps in between. And there's all kinds of outcry from one camp to the other of like, you know, no, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. And so we can meaningfully say neither of them represents evangelicals as a group. With progressive Christianity, we can't. In fact, I've only seen two meaningful indications of, dis of notable disagreements within the progressive Christian camps. And it's and this is kind of ironic because uh, two or three years before you published your book, Chuck McKnight, uh, if I remember his name correctly, in Progressive Christian Pathos, published an article calling out Martianism and anti-Semitism in progressive Christianity. Mm. Uh, and then Brenda Marie Davies from God is Gray got canceled. I remember outside that. of those two, I've seen almost no indication that there are any leading progressive Christian voices that are objecting to by an extreme example, Mark Sandland bragging about taking God out of his own prayers from his own pulpit during his own sermons at his own church, which you would think would be like, I would be offended if a Muslim did that, pulled mm -hmm. Allah out of their own, you know, uh, teachings. I don't know if they call them sermons from their own mosque. I'd be like, what, why are you calling yourself a Muslim if you're bragging about taking Allah out of, out of your prayers? I'm like that. It wouldn't make sense to me. Um, I don't see this outcry in progressive Christianity. Um, in fairness, the one major camp I haven't thoroughly researched yet is Phil Vischer and the Holy Post podcast. So maybe it's in there, but I haven't seen anywhere else. 
Would so you consider my, Phil Vischer and the Holy Post to be like squarely progressive or where would you put them? Um, since I haven't researched them, I don't want to speak out of place. Um, I know he has said that he and progressive Christians affirm the Apostles' Creed. But then when we get into the other progressive Christians, we don't find that. So right. um, I would side with Brian McLaren on this. He wrote an article where he uh, kind of presented a standard like advanced intermediate beginner level of different of differences between progressive Christianity and uh, conservative evangelicalism. And he presented uh, Rachel Held Evans, Pete Enns, and uh, homebrewed podcast, I think it's called uh, Trip Fuller, I think it is, mm -hmm. as kind of like the, the beginner, that's what you start with. And then you get to him as intermediate, and then you get to Spong and Borg as advanced. And so I would, at this point, place Phil Vischer in that group in that beginner level of like, they're clearly in that circle, but I'm not sure where their beliefs are in terms of that. Right. So I think with, with like in my, I, again, I'm not done a super deep dive on Holy Post, but what it seems like to me is that probably they check all the boxes theologically on the gospel, at least on paper, but they're mm -hmm. so influenced by critical theory. And, and of course, they would deny this. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I, I want to say that they would not agree with my assessment, I'm sure. But from what I've seen, they're very influenced by kind of this wokeness that's in the weeds in culture and that's eroding mm -hmm. those gospel boxes and who knows given a you know certain amount of time if that will become fully eroded yeah. but and it, um, it leaves yeah. issues um yeah but so then the second question i have and this is the one that i really want to focus on because the where's the outcry is more of a uh, a notation the why identify as christian and i i want to be clear i know that sounds gatekeeping i don't mean it in, in a gatekeeping sense the gatekeeping sense would be, well, you need to also affirm this and this and this. I'm not asking about what they affirm. I'm asking when they say they're a Christian, what is it about their beliefs that they say, I think the word Christian describes this group of beliefs accurately? And by example, uh, the word Muslim means submission. And more generally speaking, it means submission to God. By that definition, I'm a Muslim. But I also know that Muslim is a lot bigger of a thing. It's almost exclusively used to refer to someone who follows Allah through Muhammad. And so I know even that by the word I may be, I'm not by the context. So I'm not going to identify as Muslim because I don't want to cause confusion. I don't want that to be a point. I want to be clear, like, this is not me. So when they say Christian, I really want to know you know, progressivechristianity.org has their eight points, now their five points. What is it about those five points that they that they say Christian Christian Christianity is the best word to describe these points? That's what I'm getting at with, mm -hmm. with the question, why identify as Christian? For myself, just to make sure I give my own answer, um, Christian comes from the Greek word Christos, which is uh, Greek for Mashiach, the Hebrew for Messiah, which is talking about the Old Testament prophecies of the anointed one. I believe Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, and he is the anointed one of God. And I follow that Jesus, that historical Jesus affirmed and established by the Old Testament prophecies. That's why I think Christian accurately identifies me. Mm -hmm. So. And sorry if there's construction noise going on. Is that construction? I was like, somebody yes. washing dishes in there. That's all right. <laughs> we can ignore construction of things we can't control. Yay. Fun story. I was interviewing William Lane Craig on penal substitutionary atonement a couple of years ago. 
and this guy with a lawnmower just started going super loud, right? And we had to pause, <laughs> and it was so—I felt so bad. It was kind of awkward, but that's uh, so, all right. We can power through. All right, so that's all really helpful because, honestly, um, when I go and speak at conferences and all sorts of different places, one of the top questions I get is, why do progressive Christians still call themselves Christians? Mm -hmm. And the answer that I typically give is that it's because they actually, and I think this probably bears out in your research too, and I can get your thoughts on it. I do believe that most progressive Christians believe they are the real Christians. I think they think we are the ones who have hijacked his, you know, quote unquote, historic Christianity, and they're redeeming mm -hmm. Christianity in their own minds, of course, um, mm -hmm. And so that's why they they don't want to let go of the term because they they want to redeem it. They want to they want I, I to say that, that we yeah. are the ones that have hijacked it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that. let's talk about affirmations. Um, you you this has all led you to what you call the five affirmations. There's uh, if we look at you know world religions and different worldviews. As you've kind of parsed it out, and I think this is really cool. I think this is an interesting way to organize it, and I think I agree with it. There's two universal affirmations that pretty much every worldview makes, and then there's three particular affirmations. Mm -hmm. Talk about that, what you mean by that. Seven Weeks Coffee is my favorite coffee company for a lot of reasons. First of all, I love that the coffee is harvested in the most natural way possible. And so whenever possible, organic practices are used by their farmers. It's as clean as coffee can possibly get. It's mold-free, toxin-free. Uh, there's organic farming practices, ultra-low acid, and it's also sourced through direct trade. And this is actually the most ethical way to source your coffee. It's even better than fair trade. It's give, it gives them complete transparency from farm to cup. And here's a really cool thing about Seven Weeks. They pay their farmers 300% more than fair trade coffee requires. I love the ethics of Seven Weeks Coffee. I also love that they are unapologetically pro-life and Christian. So not only is the coffee completely amazing, but they give support to pro-life uh, resource pregnancy centers all across the nation. To date, they have donated $300,000 to, uh, to these different resources. Give it a try. It's such a great gift to give somebody for their birthday, bring as a host gift when somebody invites you for dinner. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use my code ELISA for 10% off. Give it a try. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use my code ELISA for 10% off. Yeah. So like I said, through the identity, it's been pulling me into what is it that makes Christianity Christian? And I've seen a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. Um, and with the universal affirmations, um, what I've seen it, uh, is Jesus was a good guy and the golden rule. Yeah. Almost every religion has those two components in some way. It may not be a formal doctrine, but they meaningfully hold it. So like Gandhi is famous um, or attributed to him as uh, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Um, Islam obviously sees Jesus as a prophet. Um, almost everyone likes Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and then the golden rule everyone has some kind of a, we're supposed to do good things. We're not supposed to do bad things. Um, Hinduism has karma. You have to do good deeds in order to be uh, reincarnated into a better life form. Uh, Islam has zakat, their third pillar, which is kind of like the Christian tithe, except it's specifically for charity. Uh, and even secular humanism tries to ground morality on empathy. Mm. Uh, so almost everyone has these things. 
which also means if your religion is defined as those two things, you haven't really differentiated yourself from any other religion. You may as well, you know, frankly, just call yourself a moralistic therapeutic deism if you don't claim any of those others. Yeah. It's so similar. Uh, but then I've also noticed that there's three main things that Christianity holds that every other religion rejects, either explicitly or uh, necessarily. And it's for alliteration purposes, I call it the sun salvation in scripture. Um, I'm being a little bit flexible in terms of how I phrase it. I'm still trying to nail that down. But the sun is the Trinity that Jesus specifically is God. Mm -hmm. um, not that he is a created being, not that he is merely a prophet, not that he is just a good teacher, not that he just came to give us a good example of how to live, but specifically that he is God. Every other religion rejects it. Mormonism believes Jesus is a descendant of Elohim. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus was a created being. Islam, Jesus was a prophet. Hinduism holds different deities as existing entirely. Um, so that's son. Salvation, to my knowledge, Christianity is the only religion that specifically teaches a uh, salvation that we actually need to be saved, that we get by grace through faith, which is demonstrated by works. So to be clear, this isn't just a believe in your fine, get out of jail free card. Mm -hmm. You do have to have works that are a part of it, but the works aren't salvation or aren't salvific. They don't cause salvation. Yeah. Every other religion that I'm aware of, uh, Islam, the only guarantee of paradise is to die in jihad, however you interpret jihad. Um, Hinduism obviously has karma, which is works-based. Buddhism, your goal is to deny everything so that you can reach enlightenment. Um, everything else has some kind of a you have to earn it, or they deny sin entirely. And there is nothing you need to be saved from, which is uh, you know equally problematic. And then the last one is scripture. And I want to be clear. I'm a young earth creationist, I'm an inerrantist, and I'm not talking about either of those two. I'm talking about holding scripture as the only perfectly theologically accurate holy text about God. And I specify it in that way because, again, uh, Mormons, they have the, um, or Church of, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they don't like the term Mormon anymore, sorry. Um, they have the Book of Mormon, they have the Doctrine and Covenant, Pearl of Great Price. Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation of the Bible. Islam has the Quran. Hinduism has the Gitas. Um, Buddhism, I think, technically doesn't have a holy text, but they do have things that the Buddhists have passed down. Everyone else has something else that's in addition to or replaces the Bible. And at, like I said, I'm specifically talking about the Bible's description of God. Mm -hmm. um, because there are questions about, you know, are is every passage authentic to the original texts? Is, you know, did the was the flood local? Was the flood global? Was it just mythos? I'm not talking about that stuff. Yeah. I'm just talking about how it presents God. Is that the standard of who God is? And so those are, like I said, the two universal and then the three particular that I found adequately uh identify world religions in terms of similarities and similarities we'll see in progressive Christianity. And then the specific things that are only Christian. Yeah, that's good. In a minute, we're going to look at some creeds and we've got some fun ones for you people. We've got some <laughs> ones you're going to recognize and then some ones you may not recognize. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to have some fun there, but let's talk about the gospel because mm -hmm. If you think about it, the word gospel means good news. It's it's mm -hmm. what makes Christianity uniquely Christianity, right? And yeah. so so let's define that. What is the gospel? So the clearest definition of the gospel in scripture is in 1 Corinthians uh 15. 
And I want to be clear, I've heard a rumor that one scholar doesn't accept this as authentic. Uh, Even Richard Carrier, the Jesus mythicist who believes Jesus didn't exist, believes that the majority of this creed is authentic to the earliest Christians within Mm -hmm. five to ten years of the events. Yeah. So this is, as far as I'm aware of, the earliest uh, positively known Christian writing that we have. Uh, And the core of it is that Christ or Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then it continues with a list of appearances that he had. Those are a little bit more contested, though not usually, like Richard Carrier does contest those. But as far as I know, virtually everyone agrees with those three points. Now, ironically, I did not come up with the five affirmations thinking about 1 Corinthians 15, but it matches exactly. We have the Son, Jesus. We have salvation, Jesus dying for our sins. And we have the scriptures in accordance uh, for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So incidentally, the, the three particular affirmations that I found are in this passage directly. So yeah. that's the clearest definition of the gospel. Now, there's plenty more that works out as a result of that good news. So I don't want to say the gospel is does not include more things, such as the restoration of all of creation. But it does not include less than this creed. Mm-hmm. That's very good. And I, I say something very similar. It's like certainly Christianity is more than this, but it can't be any mm-hmm. less. And that's all exactly. we need because in progressive Christianity, it is less than that. Um, I do want to make a comment on this um, creed here uh, because I did quite a bit of research for this for my first book about which scholars you know, are going to uh, con- you know, not contest that this is a, one of the earliest creeds. So atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludemann, he dates it within mm-hmm. two to three years of the crucifixion. Uh, G- of course, G- Jesus seminar founder, very, for anybody unfamiliar, very, very liberal um, organization, Robert Funk and, uh, and of course, N.T. Wright. They both agree that this is an early one. Um, so, point on that. yeah. Because you're going to appreciate this a lot. So, you know how Jesus Seminar was founded by the, Rest Star, by the West Star Institute, right? Mm-hmm. They fund progressivechristianity.org. Oh, that's They're one of their uh, endorsed sponsors. Yeah, that's not surprising, yeah. but that that makes sense that that would be yeah. <laughs> um, a connection there. Right, and of course, um, Bart Ehrman, famously skeptical yeah. scholar Bart Ehrman, from his blog, I quote him in my book as well, that for Paul, this was the gospel in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul even says it at the beginning. Now, I would remind mm-hmm. you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And he says this is mm-hmm. of utmost importance. So, yep. uh, you know, like you said, most scholars are going to agree this was the gospel for the earliest Christians. So what mm-hmm. we're going to do now is go through some creeds, some some Christian creeds, some creeds we find in the Bible, and we're going to compare progressive Christianity with those creeds and see, you know, is this what mm-hmm. progressive Christians will affirm? Because, David, you mentioned earlier that, um, I forget who you said it was, but they said, you know, progressive Christians affirm the Apostles' Creed. I hear that all the time. Okay. You know, yeah, we yeah. will, in fact, the progressive church I was in would stand up and say the Nicene Creed and read the Apostles' Creed. And even, uh, as I note in my book, Nadia Boltz-Weber at, at her church when she was pastoring they would sing old hymns about the blood and all of this. And so very often in progressive Christianity, they will affirm a lot of these kinds of creeds, 
But the other thing to be aware of about the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed is it doesn't specifically mention certain things that progressive Christians might be really vehemently against. And that's yep. because they were in response to particular heresies that were arising at that time. Like, for example, neither creed really specifically mentions penal substitutionary atonement. Well, that's because that wasn't contested. That that was not the heresy at the time that they were having to deal with um, when they wrote these creeds. And so that's why there's maybe a different emphasis. So I always tell people, yes, I affirm mm-hmm. those creeds, but they're not enough. They're not enough to get a fully orbed idea of the core of Christianity. That's why we got to look at a lot of them. So um, well, we already talked about 1 Corinthians 15, but go ahead. So I agree with you to an extent, but I do want to clarify with them yeah. um, or with this that we're, yeah, we're going to look through a number of creeds. Some of them are in the Bible. Some of them are in the, the early Christian creeds. All of them, the biblical and early Christian creeds, uh, include some of the same key points. And notably, all of them are exclusivist. Good, it is yes. very yeah. clear because the main thing, um, it, well, do you want me to just go on ahead and cover the creeds? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, them? absolutely. So, because the main thing is the identity of God. And I'll yes. walk through that in a bit. Um, first creed, uh, I am so thankful that Benjamin Kramer made a meme. He's a progressive Christian at Reverend, uh, that the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, I am so glad that we have biblically literate progressive Christians out uh, there. Yes, of course you're being sarcastic there. The <laughs> greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is that wasn't a standalone thing. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. It's one of the most famous creeds in Judaism. It's one of the most famous creeds in Christian history. And it's uh, specifically, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart, et cetera, et cetera. That's what Jesus was quoting. And then the second commandment came from Leviticus 19. So Jesus isn't inventing this new religion. He's pointing back to... What you what you need to obey is this law that was given to you by God through Moses, very specifically, very clearly. So it's not this vague, have a wonderful idea about a divine being. Yeah. It was a specific, there is a specific deity that we're talking about. That's what Jesus was going on with Matthew 22. First yeah. Corinthians 15, we already covered. And again, it covers specifically the Christ and the scriptures. It's talking about a very specific identity. It's not talking about a generic feel-good theism. Right. When you go to the grocery store to buy meat, do you know where it's coming from? In fact, over 85% of the meat that you buy in the grocery store is being imported from overseas, often from countries that don't have very high quality standards or transparency. This is one of the reasons I absolutely love Good Ranchers. You can pick a box to subscribe to. You can actually select how often you want uh, your boxes delivered, and you get free shipping. And I love that the meat is American-born, raised, and harvested. This is important because buying from independent farmers in the U.S. lets you do good and eat good at the same time. Here's another thing to know about the beef at Good Ranchers. Every cut of beef that they sell is USDA graded prime or upper choice. These are the uh, highest two grades of beef that can be received in America. They're hand cut, 
hand-trimmed, and aged 21 days to reach the optimal tenderness, and they are so tender and so good, and the richest flavor possible. If you aren't sure what to try, try the Rancher's Classic. That's the box that we get where you're going to get some beautiful uh, T-bones. You're going to get some flat uh, flat steaks. You're going to get chicken breasts and ground beef. It's just a great mix of all the different kinds of meats that you might need for your family to make wonderful dinners, and I love the convenience of it. I love that it's just sitting there in my freezer. I don't have to think about what I'm going to make for dinner for my family. So if you want to try it out, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ALISA for $20 off your first box. That's GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ALISA. Well, and I want to make a comment on Matthew 22 as well, because sometimes in progressive Christianity, people will actually quote this and say, well, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God mm-hmm. with all your heart and your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But they're defining love culturally as affirmation yeah. of whatever everybody wants. So it's like, yeah, just just it's all about love, man, Absolutely. like in this kind of hippie 60s sense. But in reality, when you look at what Jesus was appealing to, as you just pointed out, if you truly love God with all your heart— and you love your neighbor, you will not break any of the Ten Commandments. Because if you look at the or Ten Commandments, that's right, or any of the 613 commands in the Old Testament. Because if you look, even just like take the Old, mm-hmm. uh, the Ten Commandments as a guide, uh, you know, all of the, the ones about idolatry and have no other gods before me, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that's loving God with your whole heart. The stealing, the cheating, the coveting, the adultery, that's sinning against your neighbor. So if you truly, what Jesus is basically saying is you will be morally perfect if you can perfectly love God with all your heart and your mind and your neighbor. Yep. But obviously Jesus came to show us we can't, and that's why we need him. But that that's just something that that really is a pet peeve of mine when progressive Christians come along saying, see, Jesus said it was all about love, but that's because they're defining love in a very, very different way. And ironically, this is uh, kind of the point that Chuck McKnight was making in his article on Martianism, uh, which is that uh, when progressive Christians take Jesus and excise the Old Testament out of him, they're whitewashing him and in a very anti-Semitic way, getting rid of his uh, Jewishness. Mm. Uh, and they're taking, they're they're making the white Jesus that they complain about. Oh wow! The Jesus that I follow is the historical Jesus who was one hundred percent a Jew and lived and believed the Jewish texts. There's wow. five hundred and fourteen cross references between Jesus's spoken words and the Old Testament texts. He was very vocal about the Old Testament. Jesus yeah. grounded his identity in the Old Testament. He didn't ground it in his authentic self. Uh, so if good. we want to see what Jesus meant with Matthew 22 or with anything else he said, John 8, John 3, you know, Matthew 28, we ha- in Matthew 7, the, you know, uh, the judge not and the Sermon on the Mount. We have to look at, you know, what was Jesus's background? Where was he coming from? And that was the Old Testament. Yeah. He was not coming from critical race theory. He was not coming from uh, gender fluid something. He was coming right. from the Old Testament. Right. We have to understand him in that context. That's good. Well, the um, final two Christian, early Christian creeds we're going to talk through is the yeah. Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Many of our audience will already be familiar with these. Of course, the Apostles' Creed 
I'll just read it through. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. For there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And then uh, from the Nicene Creed, uh, I'll just read, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. So there are uh, some really core things there, aren't there? Well, and the thing in particular I want to highlight, one, both of them almost quote 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. Uh, They almost verbatim quote it. But two, again, it's a very specific God. It is not a generic divine being, divine essence, anything. They're talking about a very specific God. They're talking about a very specific Jesus. They're talking about a very specific Holy Spirit. That's what they're talking about. So, we can't that that's why you know the saying it's christianity is at least but not less than mm-hmm. it is at least this but if you take that away you are losing christianity there's more to it yeah. definitely but you can't take these things away yeah and that even when progressive christians you know on paper state they agree with this They'll then go around and teach that it doesn't really matter what you believe. It doesn't really matter yeah. about this, that, or the other. Or they're silent when high-profile progressive Christians do teach that. And I'll cover some of those in a minute. Yeah. Well, and also, they, because of the redefinition of words, many progressive mm-hmm. Christians can openly say, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. But they may not mean that his physical body came back to life that it you know it could be like a metaphor it could be a spiritual resurrection it could be all sorts of different things so they have no problem affirming that but they mean something not not all certainly there well, are progressive christians who believe in the physical yeah. resurrection but they don't necessarily have to but there's also some that will uh denigrate the resurrection as a non-essential mm. as you don't have to believe it yeah well you know whether you accept it or not it's exactly. a personal thing it's and so yeah it, it's very much like the early the early church was like, no, this is what we're rallying around. Yeah. You don't, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, making a creed is not a trivial thing. Um, the very fact that this became a creed meant that was the most important thing that they're like, this is what needs to be recorded and taught and preached. And anything outside of that is like anything that challenges that is a problem. Yeah. They took the time to develop it into a creed and to pass it down. Right. You don't get that willy-nilly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, they saw that as the most important thing. And then we have, you know, Caleb Lines and Mark Sandlin making a number of videos talking about how, you know, yeah, you can be an atheist or an agnostic Christian. You know, the resurrection, it's more about are you spiritually revived? And I'm like, I'm fine if you want to believe that. Just don't say that it's Christian. Right. It's yeah. not Christian. Right. All right, let's talk through some of these sociological creeds. We've got moralistic therapy. We've talked about that a bit, but let's mm-hmm. read the, the creed here. So according now, if anyone's unfamiliar with the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism, this was sort of flowed out of some research that was done in 2005 about the spiritual beliefs of the average American teenager. And this is what they discovered in 2005 that the average American teenager believed. Uh, A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Uh, Mm A God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. And I would add for today the word kind. Kindness is almost like the new religion as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. 
God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. There's the deism. And then mm -hmm. basically good people go to heaven when they die. There's the good, the works-based salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, so that's from the book, uh, Soul Searching by uh, Smith and Denton. Um, I want to say it was published by Oxford University Press, but it's um, a very academic, <clears throat> academic book. And notice in particular how different it is. There's God. It's just a generic God. And I, like, I want to be clear, I'm not uh, hitting on the book because they're describing American religion. That is meaningfully what we see even in Christianity today. Right. Yes. Um, you know, with the statistics that only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview, meaningfully in churches, this is what we typically see. Be nice to each other. God is good. You know, most, most world religions have taught different things and, you know, they're good things you know, do good things, you get to heaven, whatever, you know, however vague heaven is. Um, it's all very vague. It's all very, you know, spiritual terms. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you aren't careful, that's where it becomes easy to, to mix up this with Christianity is if you assume they're talking about the same God, sure. But you have to make that assumption. Yeah. You don't get the Christian God out of this creed. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the strange rites creed. I'll read it, but set us up for it. Like, what am I about? What am I reading here? Okay. So Tara Burton wrote a book called Strange Rites. I want to say she published it in 2022. It was very recent, um, like 10 years or so after Soul Searching. It is far less academic, but it is still more or less a sociological um, uh, treatment of modern religion. And so in one of the chapters, she highlights what she calls the tenets of contemporary American intuitional religion. Mm. Uh, and so I call it the strange rights creed in honor of the book and just as, you know, an easy way to refer to it. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, go on ahead with the creed because. Okay. Um, this, this, this is fascinating. <laughs> I am the only truth I know. My emotions are God given. They tell me what to do and how to live to be my truest self. I should follow my instincts, my body and my gut know more than my mind. An unjust and repressive society has held me back from becoming my best self. It has warped my faith in my own abilities and my relationship with others. I owe it to myself to practice self-care. I owe it to the world to perfect myself physically, spiritually, and morally. There is no objective right or wrong. Different people and different societies have different moral obligations. And that's an end quote. Boy, does that not sum up where so much of our culture is at today. Yes. Very much. And so the reason why I brought these up is because, um, like I said, when you hear terms like God and Jesus and Bible, it can become really easy to think, okay, yeah, they're talking about Christianity. But when we go through the next progressive Christian creeds, in light of the two sociological creeds against the early Christian and the biblical creeds, you can easily see this is not the same religion. Yeah. What, I mean, I'm all for more than I believe in Christianity is true. I believe everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe. That doesn't mean everyone's beliefs are equally valid. Just right. I believe if they want to believe something, they can believe something. Right. But so, that doesn't mean that what they're saying they believe that they, you know, can should have the right to just say, oh, yeah, this is Christian. If they want right. to start another religion, I'm fine with that. But right. just be honest that you're separating yourself. Right, exactly. So we're going to get into the what used to be called the eight points of progressive Christianity. It is now the five points. They've updated it and kind of condensed it a bit and brought it into five points. Now, um, I'm not sure I would call this a creed because 
um, one of the things that I don't think, you know, most progressive Christians are like, yes, I I have to affirm the the creed on progressivechristianity.org. Maybe I could be wrong about that. Maybe it is becoming more of a creed these days. But it's a great summary of progressive Christian beliefs. Now, when I first wrote my book, Another Gospel, I didn't use this um, this website, progressivechristianity.org, because I was really pulling my information about progressive Christianity from the progressive Christian authors and bloggers and speakers themselves. Um, but when I did finally read the eight points, because they were still eight points up until fairly recently, I thought, you know, that is a really accurate summary of where most progressive Christians are at. Interestingly, before that, one of the reasons I didn't use it in the book was because at that time, of course, the movement is progressing constantly and becoming, you know, morphing and changing and it's very fluid. I actually thought that the eight points on the progressive Christian progressivechristianity.org represented more of the extreme side of progressive Christianity. Whereas today, I think it nails it. I mean, it's like everybody's there now. The, the the conservative progressive Christians have caught up with it, and they're there. Now, another interesting thing about these um, these points is that I predicted for years that they would change them because there was one point where it said, you know, we, we I forget how they worded it, but it was like, we make space for all people, men, and they used the categories of men and women. And I thought, well, that's going to change because it's not that popular to to be able to identify and even define what men and women are anymore. And that did go away when they condensed it to five points. But let's just let's just focus here on the first point, um, because I think it really everything else kind of flows out of it. And it's uh, it says this. And by the way, you can find this on progressivechristianity.org. We're not making this stuff up. Um, progressive Christians believe that following the way and teachings of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacred sacredness, wholeness, and unity of all life, even as we recognize that the Spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. I will also note, originally, this point one had the word oneness in it, with a capital O. They took that out. I'm not sure why they did that, because unity of all life sort of says the same thing. But they they took the sacred also had a capital S, and that changed. So I don't know if that was in response to some of the pushback they got from that or what, but that that is what it is now. The first thing I want to point out is you're exactly right. Progressive Christians would not probably call this a creed. They would not affirm it. However, there's a distinction I need to make, which is the fact that they don't point to it as a creed that they have to affirm doesn't mean they don't believe it. That's because a good point. within yeah. progressive Christianity, it is true that they don't have a uh, central creed or a central leadership that they follow. However, that's more of an on paper statement. If you look at what their leaders are teaching and whether the crowd is objecting or not to them, if you look at what they're putting out, overwhelmingly, it's the same type of stuff. Mm. And overwhelmingly, it either agrees with this or does not challenge these creeds. So we get to the five points, which is, yeah, you know, uh, believe that, you know, sacredness, wholeness, unity of all life. In particular, even as we recognize that the Spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. Now, to be clear, in a literal note, I agree. The Holy Spirit moves everywhere. And there are people in other faith traditions where the Holy Spirit is moving. That's different, though, and they never make this distinction between is the faith tradition itself a thing of the Holy Spirit? Mm. Or is it there are people? in there that are problematic. Even, you know, going out to evangelicalism as an example. 
there is no doubt in my mind that there are plenty of evangelicals that are not saved and have absolutely not the foggiest idea what's going on, and they still identify as evangelical. Yeah. That's not the same as evangelicalism as a faith tradition. There is no, no doubt in my mind that there are a lot of Catholics that are saved and a lot of Catholics that are not saved. And that says very little about the that faith tradition. There is no doubt in my mind that there are Mormons who are saved. But Mormonism teaches that Jesus is a descendant of Elohim, a different deity. It teaches a salvation by works. It is not Christianity. So we cannot say that the Holy Spirit is in that faith tradition as a faith tradition, even if we can say that there are individuals in there who are saved. What would, just just curious, because I, I, I'm not totally sure I would agree with you on that. But how? What would a saved? More, what would a born born again Mormon look like? Either they don't really know what's going on, why there's a difference, or they're on their way out of the church. Okay, yeah. So maybe so they like, they surrender to Jesus yeah. and they just haven't. Yeah. Okay, that makes Thanks sense. Yeah. Drawing out that clarification, I'm not talking about a. They are fully aware of what Mormonism teaches. They are embracing it and they are staying in the church. Right. I'm talking about um, at odds with what they're taught. Whether they understand yeah. it or they may be, you know, uh, there may be a measure of ignorance involved. There may be a, me you know, measure of sanctification going on. Um, but it is possible that they're, you know, Christian while in the Mormon church, right. even if things are being worked out. It's well, not and, and because of Mormon beliefs. Interestingly, um, just a couple of weeks ago, Lucy Clark was on sharing her story of leaving the Mormon church. And that was kind of her thing. Like she surrendered to the Lord and got born again. And she at first was saying, you know, and if anybody hasn't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. It's a fascinating story. But she said, well, I'm just going to be a born again Mormon. But then, of course, the Holy Spirit continued to work on her heart. And she realized, I can't be a born again Mormon. And so she ended up having to go fully out of it. But that, yeah, exactly. that's good. I Thank you for clarifying that. So go yeah, ahead and no, continue. So, yeah, so there's uh, there's very much, it's not explicitly pluralism in the sense that every religion is, you know, leads to heaven. But there's very much a you don't have to be Christian to be on to be led by the Holy Spirit within progressive Christianity. Yeah. I mean, they openly teach that you can be um, uh, well, like, OK, seek community that is inclusive of all. This is point two uh, that is inclusive of all people honoring differences in theological perspective. Now, I want to contrast that with their previous teaching, which was. Invite all sorts of conditions of people to join in our worship and in our common life as full partners, including but not limited to believers and agnostics. Mm -hmm. So in pulling in Mark Sandlin's book, uh, Progressive Prayers for Progressive People, where he brags about taking God out of his prayers. Why did he do that? Because he had an atheist member of his church that he didn't want to offend. Mm. What's the point of claiming to be a religion if people of different religions are also welcome in your religion. Yeah. It, it's nonsensical. And that's yeah. where I'm like, I would have a lot more respect for them if they just say, we want to be our own religion. We're not trying to be Christian. Yeah. I could respect that a whole lot more, but that's not what they do. And I, I think you're right that they think they are the authentic Christians. Yeah. Even though historically their teachings are nowhere found in there. Right. Because I don't think um, they're right. really focused on belief. I think they're more focused on what they would consider to be right practice. And that's, why I think, mm -hmm. what they think they're redeeming. Okay. Sparkle Creed. 
I, I don't think I've talked about the Sparkle Creed on the podcast yet. <laughs> I honestly, David, I didn't even bother with it because it was just to me so ridiculous and just so pulled out of thin air. But let's talk about it because uh, maybe somebody didn't see this make the rounds on social media when it kind of went mini viral a while back. So, the Sparkle Creed. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, talk about it. Okay, so I and I didn't record the name. I don't remember who came up with it. Um, it was 2021. Some reverend came up with it and she read it and it kind of went around then, but it didn't go viral earlier this year. Progressive Christianity shared it and it got picked up and it went viral mm. and, um, Oh, it is so bad. Oh, should it, I read it? It is so take your blood pressure medicine and then read it. Yeah. Yes. Just, yeah, everybody just kind of take a deep breath, sit down. Here's the sparkle creed. I, I'm just waiting for somebody to like record me reading this and like Lisa Childers affirms the Sparkle Creed. No, I don't affirm it. Please. I'm just reading it for reading's sake. Okay. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it <clears throat> into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. I mean, it's just it's just blasphemy. It's it, And that's where I found, frankly, so much power in reading that against the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Against First Corinthians 15, against the Shema. Yeah. Because when you do that, it's like, this is not the same religion. Right. Again, I am 100% behind their right to believe what they want to believe. If they want to believe that this is right, that's fine with me. But stop appropriating the name Christian. Yeah. It is, it's clear that they want to believe a different religion. It's clear they want to teach their own thing. That's fine. Go teach their own thing. But just stop calling yourself a Christian if you're teaching stuff that is so foreign right. to everything that Christianity has stood for for 2,000 years. Yeah, especially when the earliest creed says this is the most important things, and you're not even mm -hmm. going to affirm the very basic core tenets. So. Not even mention it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so so with progressive Christianity, we've looked at the the eight points, the five points, and again, I just I want to encourage everybody go check these resources out for yourselves. We're not making this up. Um, in fact, we're going to look at some specific specific progressive Christian claims right now. And David has written a blog post that documents all of this, so there'll be footnotes and all of that, and we'll put that in the description of the podcast I may still for today. Be pulling it in when this release is just FYI. So yeah, I'll okay, be good, good. Um, but yeah, go ahead and walk through some of the claims because I don't know if this will be surprising for some people because I think some people have the mm -hmm. idea that progressive Christian. Christianity is just maybe Christians who are maybe a little bit more left in their politics or just little bits of differences, but it's like, yeah. this is a different religion. It's so, and I, I want to tie this into something you said earlier about going back to primary sources. If you're going to go out and critique progressive Christianity, you need to be reading these primary sources yourself or be open and saying like, Hey, this is Elisa's podcast, you know, a, a podcast, or this is her post that she made. This is David's post that he made. This is Marsha Montenegro's post, you know, whatever you're pointing to, you need to be clear. Like if, if you're going after them, go to them directly or be open. You're coming to these sources because it is too easy to misrepresent people. 
and to think you have a knowledge of what's going on that you don't actually have. So yeah. I got these because um, I've either read the books themselves or I own the books and I verified the quotes and I verified the context. And so I have five different examples um, to walk through to show uh, Caleb lines. This is from a meme that has been shared on his page and progressive Christianity, Christianity.org several times. Um, he teaches, if I can get the exact quote correctly, today's mini sermon, Jesus did not die for your sins or did not die for the atonement of your sins. He died to oppose empire. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go to the primary sources that we have, you know, the four gospels, um, the Roman empire was trying to let him go. Hmm. In fact, when Jesus talked about, um, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He taught to obey oppression because he taught if the Roman Empire causes you or forces you to walk a mile, walk two. He taught render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. That's what Jesus taught. Caleb Lyons yeah. says Jesus did not die to atone for your sins. He died to oppose empire. Mm-hmm. Flamey Grant, the drag queen music artist. Mm-hmm. Um, Flamey did an interview with Progressive Christianity. Uh, I think it was the last week of 2023. Uh, and specifically taught the fact-value split that Schaefer and Nancy Piercy highlight, um, which is that uh, we have reality and then we have beliefs. It's a very mm-hmm. common new atheist thing. Yeah. That you know, if if you believe it, then you know it doesn't matter because beliefs aren't really real. Which is in complete odds with Jesus's sermon to Nicodemus, Jesus's own greatest commandment in John six, and even Jesus specifically highlighting in I think it's John eight, the truth shall set you free. Yeah. Mark Sandlin, again, covered this a couple times in his book, Progressive Prayers for, for Progressive People. He brags about taking God out of his own prayers from his own pulpit during his own services at his own church. We have Polycarp in the, what was it, the late first century, mm-hmm. being willing to, to have the Roman soldiers take him to be fed to wild animals because he would not renounce Christ. And then we have Progressive Christianity being and that being taught, Mark Sandlin is a co-executive director of progressivechristianity.org, him and Caleb Lines both. And then we have people like him teaching that, yeah, you know, God's not important enough to me to include in my own prayers. Yeah. Uh, Robin Myers from the book Saving God from Religion. This book I haven't read, but I own a copy of it. I verified this quote. I verified the context. Um, uh, he specifically teaches that, uh, and he quotes another scholar and I, I don't remember exactly who it is. I want to say um, um, the, um, I can't remember the name, her name, um, but he's, he specifically claims that there in Jesus's day, everything was about action. Nothing was about belief. 300 years later, everything was about belief. Nothing was about action. There mm-hmm. were no creeds for the first 300 years of Christianity, which wow. means according to his teaching, first Corinthians 15 wasn't written until after 300 AD. Yeah. Which is or he doesn't utter, believe it's a creed. Does he? Yeah. Do you know which one he? Which position he takes? Because that's just so demonstrably false. What he's saying. I don't there. even know if he knows about that creed. Oh, okay. Honestly, yeah. he doesn't know about the Shema, obviously, because mm-hmm. the Shema predates Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus quoted it. So, but even then, um, I did a, a search. Um, Logos Bible software. I'm not a paid endorser, but if you can use it, it's amazing. Uh, there is one verse where Jesus talks about relieving people from social justice. Or, or relieving people from social injustice. There are 60 verses where Jesus talks about belief. 30 of them are specifically believing in Jesus. The other 30, most of the context is about believing in Jesus. Hmm. There's 19 verses where Jesus taught about eternal life. 
he overwhelmingly taught about belief, yeah. even if we take the creeds out. And then the last one is Pete ends in his book, uh, How the Bible Actually Works. He specifically teaches that we have an obligation to uh, reimagine God in our time and our culture uh, in the same way that the biblical authors did. They don't, they, it's not only, um, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but like, it's not only suggested, it's like commanded that we do that. Um, something like that, but it's, it's a direct quote from, or, or it's directly from how the Bible actually works. Now, the interesting thing about this one, and I didn't realize it the first time I read it, if he's right, that makes everything that Pete ends has written about God fan fiction. Yeah. Which means it has no authority anywhere. If you know anything about fan fiction, uh, in fictional universes, you have canon, which is things that are, you know, published by the official people that own the, you know, that universe that created it. And then you have fan fiction, which is fans writing things that they like. Store independent stories. They may include main characters. They may not. But fan fiction has no authority. Mm-hmm. It's just independent opinions that are written. Some people may like it. Some people may not. It doesn't matter. It has no authority. If Pete Enns is right, then the biblical authors were writing fanfic, mm-hmm. including when they wrote that God is love. And everything that a progressive Christian has written is fanfic. And therefore, there's absolutely no authority for them to say that what they believe about God is right and what we believe is wrong. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Well, and Pete Enns said in his book, The Bible Tells Me So, he outright said that the way that God is portrayed in the Old Testament in certain spots is not how God is. That's the direct mm-hmm. quote, is not how God is. And it's and I've always just been so puzzled by that quote. It's like, well, where do you get your information about God that you can definitively say that the Old Testament mm-hmm. authors got his character wrong? Well, again, like you say, it's, really? it's fan fiction at this point. All right, let's land this plane. This has been so fascinating. Um, but tell me, you, you mentioned Mark Sandlin. Let's talk about how he defines the gospel, because you specifically had reference to me a YouTube uh, video that we will also, that'll be in that yeah. blog post so we're documented. And then, and let's get to the conclusion after this of, you know, how we're answering, we're talking about these two questions, where's the outcry and why identify as Christian? Mm-hmm. So if you go to YouTube, there's a, the Progressive Christian channel. They have a thing called Ask a PC Anything or, or something like that. It's a whole series of like 80 to 90 videos. They're short one to two minutes long. They are a phenomenal way for you to see how different progressive Christians are from Christians. And Mark has one where he answers it. What is the gospel? And he says, it's really simple. And then he says, verbatim, love other people no matter what and let your actions show it. There's no God in it at all. Yeah, exactly. This goes back to the not less than. Mm -hmm. He included Jesus's second greatest commandment, but he left out Jesus's greatest commandment. He left out what the earliest creed in Christianity says is the gospel, made absolutely no reference to that. In fact, I don't even know if the word gospel is in that Matthew 22 passage. I don't think it is. Um, It was that wasn't what they taught the gospel as that was some of his commandments um but that's what they're defining as the gospel which is i mean the title of your book kind of says it all it's another gospel maybe it's right maybe it's wrong we can have that discussion but it's not the same thing right and that's the big thing that i'm pulling here is like i've said so many times if they want to claim to be christian why does the word christian describe their beliefs yeah. If what they believe doesn't match what Christianity has been known for for 2000 years and what the primary sources of Christianity talks about, then they need to come up with another word. Yeah. They they really do. 
I agree. I agree. All right, David, where can people connect with you online? Tell us what you're working on and how people can get connected with your ministry. Uh, so I'm most active on my Facebook page, David Wilcott, Christian Apologist. Um, my logo is the peanut with the hat. There's a story behind that that I'll say for another day. Um, I'm also on my website, thedavidwilcott.com. That's where I run the Academy, um, which is a, uh, our primary fo- focus is learning how to respond to things. So not just what are the arguments for X, Y, or Z, but like that let's actually practice responding to these things. Um, and those are the two primary ways as far as what I'm working on. Um, some of my goals for this year, I want to finish most of my progressive Christian library. I've read 50 books. I have another hundred or so in my library. I want to finish at least 50 more of them this year. Uh, and I'm working on learning Hebrew. So I have a four-year reading plan to learn uh, modern Hebrew, modern Greek, biblical Hebrew, biblical Greek, Hindi, and Arabic. And okay. hopefully at the end of the four, I'll be able to read in those six languages. Just modest so, goals there. <laughs> my ADHD That's... is going to kick in. I probably won't meet him. Hey, I have them. Yes, that's right. All right. Well, I want to thank my guest, David Walcott, for joining me today. What a rich episode. I hope this really equipped you to understand the movement of progressive Christianity better and to answer that question, why do they still identify as Christian? Uh, Again, that's one of the most common questions I receive. So I hope this episode has helped you. If it has, please like and share this wherever you are on social media. And also it helps if you leave a review, if you're listening on the uh, audio platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, it helps us out so much if you leave positive reviews on there. And of course, share this with somebody that might find it uh, helpful. So as we pursue Christ, let's remember to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time. So pray for me and I will pray for you. No turning right or left will make it through. The road that's narrow and the gate Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.